Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Gregory Melville and Susan Fox and Kathleen Bromage. The following encore presentation of the Faith Middleton Food Schmooze is a favorite from our archives. Hope you enjoy this second helping. I got that sunshine in my pocket. Got that good soul in my feet. I feel that hot blood in my body when it drops. It's great to have you joining the party on the Faith Middleton Food Schmooze, inviting you to eat, drink, and be merry with us. We're going to talk about this catch and release thing that happened with the New York restaurant where they got these giant lobsters that are really, really old, and they said, we're not keeping these. They deserve freedom. They've earned freedom, and they let them go again. And so we're going to talk about that, this wild idea of serving watermelon instead of green salad despite all the great things that are in the market right now why not just for freshness and also because i'm crazy about watermelon (laughs) Uh, we have a great rosé that is so cheap i think it's around nine dollars a bottle that is perfect for a party a bunch of people coming over or that stuff you just whip out of the refrigerator because somebody stopped by that's one of the things that we have my treasured food buddies are here think about what's in the markets right now that we get to talk about Senior contributors Chris Prosperi, Alex Province, and Mark Raymond. Robin Doyan Aiken is on the show with us, and she is our senior producer. Hey, everybody. Hey, hey. hey All right. I can't help going to the old Homestead Steakhouse in New York City. And this restaurant, I'm so proud of them because their purveyor came in with a 20 pound lobster. Whew. Weirdly enough, pounds. you That's know, the, these, these fishing boats put out multiple traps, obviously. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Unbelievably, there were two 20-pound lobsters really? That's in rare. the same trap. That's wow. Rare. Probably from the same batch of eggs. So they thought line. it was the homes, the old Homestead uh, Steakhouse would be so excited to have two of them. I can imagine the, the publicity and the, you know, the talk in the yeah. restaurant about. And the restaurant looked at these lobsters, apparently, yeah. and said... These lobsters are so old. They have lived so long. We want them returned to the Atlantic Ocean. And that's just what they did. So to the old Homestead Steakhouse in New York City, that is so Fantastic! Can you imagine those lobsters telling their friends later, like, you'll (laughs) never believe it. Go to the old home. I went all the way to New York. (laughs) Yep. Yeah, sure. It was a great trip. It was in this tank. And here I am. I'm back again. (laughs) Great vacation. You should see the city. (laughs) I know. (laughs) That is really nice. Things are changing. (laughs) They don't get that big that often anymore. They send us back now. That's a really old lobster. I don't know if they get that big. Very rare you'll see them. I mean, five, six pounds is, that's big. 20 pounds. That's, and you that's know, huge. Of. I don't yeah. know what yeah. what the meat is like. It's not as good. No. It's too no. tough. It's yeah. too tough. Yeah. I would like to think that's not the reason they did this because I think I would do the same thing. I would say, yeah. you live 20? Yeah. How many years oh, would that who be? Knows? Oh. 50 years or something yeah, to get to that be. big? I don't know. Yeah. So next time you're a mystic, they have big lobsters in there. They'll give you the age and how long it takes to get that big. Yeah. And it's But I can't stand yeah. when I go into one of these markets mm-hmm. and they have a real old one in there mm-hmm. uh-huh. just for the tourist or customer traffic yeah. coming in to look. 
Oh, it breaks my heart. I just think, <laughs> are you kidding? It's it's like a, a nursing home for, oh. you know, oh. like a bad nursing home. Oh. Um, okay, not big on goldfish bowls either, as you can probably <laughs> tell. Okay, but let's get on to more uh, pleasant topics. Watermelon as a salad. You've heard mm. us talk on this show about chopping oh, up watermelon feta, with feta and uh, olive mint. oil and mint. Yeah. Filling um, with vodka. Yeah. Oh, filling them so, with vodka. That's, <laughs> you, that's you, Alex. <laughs> so um, quite some time ago, I was noticing in the Food Network magazine, this was mm. months ago, where they floated this idea if you were having a party. And I want to give them credit because I thought this was a, such an intriguing idea. To cut a quarter of the watermelon for each person's plate and just leave it right in the, its skin okay. and everything. So you get a pie-shaped you get wedgy a, kind of thing. Yeah. You, in other words, it's supposed to look like a wedge of iceberg lettuce. You yeah, know how sure. that is kind oh, of a triangle? Sure. Yeah, yeah. Then you would drizzle the dressing over the top of the watermelon. Yeah. And it depends on what yeah. you think – watermelon goes well with so their idea is to do a chunky blue cheese dressing and then to sprinkle on some bacon and chopped chives oh that's just not not fair once (laughs) you put bacon on it it just makes it absolutely (laughs) incredible i mean it's you just made it the best dish ever (laughs) but if you have vegetarians (laughs) i like to say then maybe not the bacon and you go right to the blue cheese, but then you have the you know, the vegans. I think they can't eat that either. But anyway, I, then I would just put out watermelon instead yeah. of green salad. What's the mm-hmm. difference? That is a cool idea. I'm <laughs> gonna it? try that. Don't yeah. people put salt on watermelon? Yeah, in the yeah. South? yeah. Oh I yeah, like I've done that. Yeah, but if you have sure. bacon, you don't need the salt. Mm-hmm. Right, you could have both mm-hmm. and the blue cheese and the blue cheese. Oh. Some cracked black pepper. Well, I like it's that. I like you where know, you're going with this. Why does this is an interesting question? Why does blue cheese go with watermelon? Why does feta go with watermelon? What's happening with sweet, those sour, yeah, sweet, yeah. sour, strong? Yeah. And is there another cheese that would go with a watermelon? I wonder. Mm. I mean, could you put brie? Oh, on, sure. yeah, brie. Maybe too mild, maybe. No, you could, could you do put brie. goat? Goat. I'm yeah. just going through. How about the like? Briere? How about like Taleggio? Yeah, Taleggio. Where goat might be a like little, little strong. skewers with Taleggio, a little bit of Taleggio and a little bit of watermelon. What about the Italian truffle cheese? Mm. How would that be with watermelon? Oh, that's mm. interesting. I don't know. I You'd think have we to try, try it. it. We yeah. should test I all of it. I think we need a watermelon <laughs> We're going to <tasting>. report. <laughs> okay. So how about now as things are becoming ripe and oh. you know starting to flood the Oof. markets? I mean, we have been trying so many different things. But isn't this an amazing time at farms mm-hmm. and yeah. farmers markets when Love you start it. to see – Things coming out like this, and the corn—it's like a still you know, corn is so go good. I take pictures of farm stands; they're, they're so. Like, do you? Oh, they're beautiful. Yeah, yeah. it's true. We the do colors. that when we yeah. go to Europe. Yeah. Beautiful. And yeah. How, how beautiful to do that here. Yeah. yeah, very good point. Because we, the Europeans sometimes come here, especially to New England. They're snapping away. Sure. Oh, yeah. And we're over there snapping away. Of course. Uh, their vegetables, our vegetables—something to be proud of. California. Something like a pile of like. Grown vegetables, they're all regular and 
piled up. I mean, so out of a field bounty. right behind the, yeah. the stand. The bounty of it, the right? The bounty, yeah. Safety. Yeah. So what's your story? There are people now who want to try as we things are getting now ripe and that they're, mm. they're at their fullest. September is the big time mm. for the explosion. But now now it begins. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, it's not oh, too yeah. bad now. Okay. <laughs> so, so for me, when it's like this, I like to start shaving fresh vegetables. Uh, uh-huh. In other words, if I take in the artichokes and I eat the outside leaves, which I like to do, and I get to the heart of the artichoke, or just cut into the heart of a fresh thing, you can make the most beautiful salad by mm-hmm. shaving a yeah. raw artichoke heart. Yeah. And in a mandolin? Mixing it, you, you in can, a mandolin or, or, or with one of those. Yeah, or even a peeler. Peel. Yeah, horseshoe Whatever peelers. Whatever you've got. Yeah. You know, the ones that go this, the yeah. other way. Yeah. It's like, like you would uh, use oh, to right. peel a cucumber yeah. or yeah. a carrot. Yeah. With, yeah. Now, you drizzle that with a beautiful olive oil, oh, those shavings. It's all you need. And then, wait, wait, wait. Then you put uh, a little whisper of salt and a squeeze of fresh lemon. There you go. It is killer delicious. Mm. Oh, yeah. You know, now that's an appetizer. That you could serve to people and they would go out of their minds. Just really, really incredible. So whatever you've got, you might want to try. If you shave it thin enough and then toss it with beautiful olive oil, let it yeah. sit for a lemon, yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. let it sit there, some salt yeah. and pepper. Oh, is that good? Here's one for you. Take um, like a bowl, have it sliced at the grocery store, throw it under the broiler, toast it, take a clove of garlic, grate it on the top, and then uh, I do an heirloom tomato that are everywhere sitting on your counter you mm. just rub the tomato on it some a big heavy glug of olive oil some sea salt and have that for breakfast with a cup of coffee mm. Ooh, oh that sounds good that yeah. sounds good alex i remember that that mm. is how you grew up when you would visit spain isn't Eat it that for breakfast don't every i remember morning. that yeah, every morning and with the tomatoes sitting on your counter it's so easy you just cut a tomato in half and you just Can you walk us through it again so you toast the bread first big nice piece of Bread, whether it's um, sourdough or whatever, huge slice under the broiler. Or a baguette cut in a baguette half. baguette yeah. cut in half. Okay. Then I take a clove of garlic. Under the broiler. So under the totally... broiler. And you can get a little like burnt on the edges even. Okay, you know? out it comes. Out it comes. A clove of garlic, peel it. Then I take the clove and it's like you're using an eraser and you just rub it on and you'll watch the garlic disintegrate in your hand. Mm. You know, it like just yeah. disappears. Okay. Yeah. And then I take a tomato, cut it in half, a nice juicy tomato, and I just mm. rub it all over and you'll just end up with the peel left of the tomato. All the, the flesh, oh. pulpy, liquidy stuff are all disappearing into the bread. Did it so... Oh. It just, you know, looks like a pizza <laughs> at this point. And then Is you take any... a big, big glug. And I, I mean like how my uncle Pepe does it. Like you pour on like a huge glug of olive oil. It's running You're over the plate. It. Yeah. It's soaking in. And can, then can I, I love salt. If you if you don't uh, like salt, skip yes. this step. But I like big, huge crystals, chunky. and I just do the uh. chunky salt all over the top. And then that can I just grate a little bit of Parmigiano Reggiano? That, oh, that would be good. <laughs> and it sounds it sounds strange, but coffee and that garlic. Like is a really great combination. Oh. Brush your teeth before you go to work, but yeah. <laughs> but so yummy. Oh, that's healthy. so good. That I know you've delicious. talked about it before, but mm. every time I, my eyes just pop out of my head, thinking I can some, I'm gonna do that. How can I something so simple you, taste so good? Right? Oh, just yes. a few couple ingredients. Well, mm. it's also like the fresh tomato pasta. Yeah. Instead of sauce. Yes. Using the fresh tomatoes, a little bit oh, of garlic, yeah. fresh basil. basil, no, lots of olive oil. Yeah, yeah, no, no, any, no cooking anything. No, yeah, just cool. and you use like an immersion blender, just puree it a little bit. 
What, the tomato? Yeah, I need to do it. It's yeah, just, I don't know, either, Alex. No, it's just but, fresh. But, uh, but I'd be interested to see what yours comes out like. My mom makes a simple tomato, like a saute pan, glug of olive oil, a little sweat some onions, add the tomatoes, a little salt, and then um, So cook, she's cooking? Yeah, for a half hour only. It's like super bright and fresh. Mm. And then put throws it in the emulsion blender and purees it. And that with pasta, it's like the simplest tomato sauce, but so fresh. Mm. Is there a condo yummy. available next to her? Wow. Yes. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I'm moving with you. Okay. <laughs> Alex and I are getting married. <laughs> okay. All right. So we're going to do a quick rosé wine for you and it's a bordeaux rosé so this is uh, created by the vineyard uh, chateau bonnet and so this is from the bordeaux region of france it is a merlot cabernet sauvignon uh, rosé and it's made by the lurton family and they have had these this vineyard for hundreds of years so uh, we're talking about uh, 50% Cabernet Sauvignon and 50% Merlot. And they say serve it lightly chill. We like it very, very mm. cold. There's not a lot of fruit flavor coming off of this. It's just dry and satisfying. And it's mm. about refreshing. $9. Refreshing, right, Alex? So it's about $9 a bottle. This is on our website, foodschmooze.org. And it's a gorgeous salmon pink in the glass, very pale and gorgeous. When you put together Merlot and Cabernet Sauvignon, and it's from the Bordeaux region, what's going on there? Just a Bordeaux blend. Yeah. Yeah, Mm -hmm. it's simple. So the Cab ripens a little later after the Merlot, so they just plant several different varietals, and depending upon the year, but standard Cab and, and Merlot... And how am I pronouncing this? Is it Chateau Bonnet, as it looks, or Chateau Bonnet? Bonnet? I think it's Bonnet. Chateau Bonnet. Okay. Very good. This is a rosé Bordeaux wine. You're seeing as we get more and more into rosés, aren't you seeing this? This, by the way, would go with anything Mm -hmm. and is the perfect party wine to just pour if you or just, to had just a, sit and have it on, on the porch by yourself, have a glass of wine. At a picnic, get a galvanized like little bucket, fill it with ice, throw in a whole bunch of different rosés, and you know let people yeah. talk and pour different yeah, ones. Exactly, I mean, very refreshing yeah. and wholesome and nice. Exactly. So this is 2016. It's on our website. Picture of the label. What you need to say at your wine store. Call ahead. They can't stock everything. I'm sure they'll have it for you within 24 hours. Brescombe is the distributor. It says on the website. You don't even need to remember this. Uh, we love these chilled rosés. Bring them to oh, the beach if you're allowed. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And this is a screw it's cap. It's a screw cap. So yeah. you can, love yeah. that. So don't you have don't, to perfect for the screw. beach. Haven't we tried to turn these into ice cubes? Yes. This would be a good one to turn into ice yeah, cubes. Oh, that Alex, years, I can't believe yeah, you said ago. that. That is so smart. We're always looking for inexpensive rosés. And the idea is to keep them chilled in the glass. We've talked with you about this multiple times. And, you know, they start to get warm in the glass. They might be freezing cold when you first pour it in, but they warm up very quickly, especially in the kind of heat uh, that this time of year brings. So because this is so inexpensive, around $9 a bottle, you can pour this into ice cube trays Mm. and make ice cubes. And when you serve either this one or even another one, 
Put these rosé ice cubes in as you serve it. So it's Mm -hmm. ice cold, and then at the end, as you're walking around, stays cold, and then there's like this slushy thing at the bottom. What a way to have this. It's so much fun. And Chris, you said you would add 7-Up. This is the kind you'd add some 7-Up, some strawberries. This is the one I add soda to. Either you do soda water seven. or seven. This I would put seven up in this. Or if you're going to make a, a, a little rosé sangria, it's a yeah. European thing to do. Yeah, and a little yeah. sweet in this one would just right. I yep. think I'd yeah. have the alcohol good by half. Good yeah. for a spritzer. Yeah, yeah good absolutely. For a spritzer. Yeah, or yeah, or her, you know, it'd be fun to play around with this and yeah. see what kinds of things you could put in it. Fun. Mm. You know what would happen if you put in a little blood orange liqueur? What would happen? Oh, yeah. You know, there's so many kinds of things you could try. Or some mm. fresh berries. You know, like, Alex, can we talk about this in the next segment? Because yeah. I know I want to talk to you about whether we could use rosé to make sangria. Sure. Okay, oh, yeah. stay with us. <laughs> More mouth-watering conversation and fun ahead on the Faith Middleton Food Schmooze. I hope you will make a charitable contribution to Feed the Hungry. We're online now at foodschmooze.org, and we'll be right back. Cornbread said, now that's all right. Meet me on the corner tomorrow night. can sign up for our free podcast. You just do it once, and then that means we send you a free copy of the show every week in your inbox. You don't have to do anything. Then you can listen on your schedule. That's the way podcasts work. It's at foodschmooze.org. I'm with my treasured food buddies, Chris Prosperi, chef and co-owner of Metro Beast Restaurant in Simsbury, Connecticut, wine broker Alex Province of Hartford, and our senior producer, Robin Doyon Aiken. As promised... I wanted to ask, can we make a sangria with rosé? Can we do a rosé sangria? Alex, you're the sangria expert. Easy, easy. We can do two versions. A simple one is get a big container, add a little bit of sugar to taste, like a half a cup or a third of a cup, whatever you like. Add your bottle of rosé right in, and we're going to add some chopped fruit like apples or peaches or pears or lemon slices, orange slices, dump them in. And then you can top it off with some Italian soda or 7-Up or whatever kind Why of sparkling. Why am I adding sugar? Well, I think it just sort of – sangria people think uh, of as slightly sweet. So I think it's – But wouldn't yeah. the soda do that anyway when you put the soda in? I am not a huge fan of sugar, so I would not add a lot. I would start with a, small, a couple tablespoons, a third of a cup, and then work your way up. But – but typically, the sangria you'd see in a restaurant would be made like this. 
Okay. And then the chopped fruit, you know, make them decorative and pretty and you can use whatever catches your eye at the grocery store and then add some ice. And I put that all in a nice pitcher and in a big wine goblets with citrus on the side of the glass. And that's simple sangria. So you can make a rosé sangria. We know you can make a, a deep, dark red sangria. Mm. And, you know, the thing about rosé is, like I've been saying, all that rosé from 10 to $20, they're all delicious. So it actually takes sort of the the guesswork out. You can just randomly pick one out and they're all going to be good. You know what I do sometimes? I'll take a white wine, right? We do white wine sangria and I add the soda and the fruit and then right at the end, I splash it with a little bit of cranberry juice. So I was just thinking it looks like the rosé one that I've made, but it just has a little splash of cranberry juice at the end and I leave it at the top and then as I'm Putting it out on the, in the pitcher, you see it kind of swirling Swirl down, down and blending. We, it's a pretty cool effect. We we have used Aperol before, remember? Oh, yeah. And that's always fun. Gives it like a little orange and some bitterness. Mm-hmm. So Aperol is that uh, Italian liqueur that has some unspecified number of herbs and botan- botanicals <laughs> and stuff in there. as secret. Medicinal. Um, is it, is yeah. it usually beefed up with alcohol? Yeah. Like sangria? You, you want a more complicated right? version? Yeah. 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 How my my dad one. makes it? Do the yeah. brandy Okay. So now in a big stainless steel container, I'm going to add lots of fruit. And this yeah. is, you don't have to make this fruit pretty. It's just like for flavor. And what kind? I would use apples and yeah. pears and so definitely limes fruit. and yeah. Meyer lemons and yeah. real lemons Cantaloupe. and grapefruit. And I would use but stuff that has a rind that's sort yeah. of like full Peaches. of flavor. Peaches would work. Yeah. And I'm going to add brandy to the bottom of this and a couple tablespoons of sugar to help sort of like macerate and get all the juices going. Then I'm going to muddle it. So just take a wooden spoon and crush everything and get all the the rind broken up and stuff's going to look horribly ugly, but you're just trying to extract flavor. And then I'm going to put that in the refrigerator overnight, covered with plastic wrap and let it all just all the flavor seep out. The next morning now, I'm going to strain this really flavorful concentrated juice into a pretty container. I'm going to add my pretty fruit that I've sliced, you know, artistically and nicely and this is mostly just for appearances so my lemons my limes other oranges and then i'm going to add an, a wine and it can be a simple wine but it cannot be oaked it's got to be an unoaked simple fruity style red wine white wine or rosé dump that whole bottle in to this concentrate and i would add some ice and in this i would probably use more like an italian soda i'm after less sugar and more just the bubbles the effervescence should you put in uh sparkling water just sparkling water would be perfect okay club soda club soda soda. okay Great. Well, that sounds really fun yeah. right there. But now, hey, but give people a warning, though, because this stuff brandy. Has, has brandy, <laughs> so it's a lot stronger. So can you then take that juice? So can you take sangria mm-hmm. and freeze it and make sorbet? Yeah, Will it course. freeze? Yeah. Would that with, work? Yeah, the thing with sorbet is you have to make sure you have the right amount of sugar. That's the trick in freezing it so it doesn't freeze solid. How does the alcohol affect it? I think the brandy one might be a little trickier, but the wine one shouldn't be because the alcohol is so low. Except Uh, that if we've got brandy in it, would this freeze solid or would it stay a little? It would freeze solid. I'm assuming there's not a lot of brandy in it, right? Mm -hmm. It's not half brandy. No, like a quarter cup. Yeah, so it would freeze. Okay, and will it be sorbet-like? I think, again, it's all about that sugar content, right? I mean, there's all kinds of tests for making sorbet, like floating an egg. The egg tests the viscosity of the water, right? So the higher it goes up, the more sugar it has. More dense, dense, Yeah. Yeah. 
There's a device you can get to check the sugar too, and, and and then you freeze it just like you freeze ice cream in a little machine, you know, a hand crank or electric one. If you put it in a say a pie plate, would you then be able to just take a fork yeah. and keep scraping yeah. at it? That's called ice to, to oh, make yeah. a granita. A granita. granita. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. So you and can, that's probably the easiest way to. This do is it. called reverse engineering. Yeah. This is totally sangria the, granita. Yeah. So I would totally mm, do oh, the like sangria that. granita, and then I'd add mm. some tequila. Over the and top. Call it margarita. Oh, like you do the wow. Italian ice, right? You put it in yeah. a cone and drizzle in tequila over the top. Ooh. An adult ice. Oh, that <laughs> sounds great. <laughs> right? Who yeah. did I hear? Somebody the other day saying she was making champagne popsicles. And I oh. thought, really? Huh. Will they freeze? Oh, yeah, totally. Rock solid? Rock solid. Wow. Just like wine. Just I mean, like our I'm wine I'm so cubes. afraid to take – I love champagne. It's my favorite thing to drink yeah, ever. I wouldn't do And I think – oh, my God, I Cava, can't. Prosecco. Yes. Yeah. 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 American yeah. sparkling. Sparkling. Yeah. Okay. $10. Right? <laughs> nothing goes <laughs> in – we should make that as a thing. Nothing, nothing should go in the freezer that's more than $10, $12. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right? Then they're the fancy ones and, you know, yeah, it's a waste. And I think if you pull those champagne popsicles out, you should probably have a toast also. Yes. Tink, tink. Oh, yeah. Right. Our job promotion. <laughs> <laughs> and if you listen to our podcast, we start every podcast with a toast. And so if you need encouragement or if you need help coming <laughs> up with a toast them. around food, we have you covered. Mm. Well, I wanted to ask the guys if when they make their sangria, they ever use, instead of sugar, because it doesn't always dissolve so well, if you ever have maybe some simple syrup around from a night of making cocktails. If or you would, agave. Or yeah. Would you guys ever substitute that instead of yep. sugar? It, I know it's harder because then you can't really measure. but It'd probably be better, less stirring, less worrying mm-hmm. about it. Having yeah, to dissolve. So maybe people don't like sugar so much anymore, right? And just well, omit the sugar entirely. I think you're I think you're responding to me. I'm interested in not having as much sugar if I'm eating this with my meal. And plus you feel it the next day if there's a ton of sugar in it, then it spikes your insulin, so you feel like you're gonna be gaining more weight and all so for a variety of reasons yeah. I'm thinking how much sugar do I want in there? I, I think the fruit's, the fruit's going to give sugar. Yep. Yep. The splash of soda is going to give mm-hmm. sugar. Maybe if you're using bourbon mm-hmm. in there, which would be really delicious now that I think of it. Mm-hmm. So anyway, that, but that's just me. Um, hey, idea for people coming over for breakfast. Do you remember going to breakfast joints and they would butter an English muffin and then put it on the cast iron grill? Ooh. Yeah. And it would get browned. No one butters like that anymore. Or muffins cut in half, yeah. buttered and put yeah. on a grill. So yeah. both the top and the bottom are crusty. And they crusty. would put, they would put uh-huh. a weight on it yeah. and yeah. It would, so it would get a little flattened uh-huh. and it yeah. would get you know golden brown oh. soaked into the oh. English muffin. Oh. Heaven. So I saw a recipe for making – you can duplicate this – making olive oil toast. You just brush the olive oil on bread – and then put that oil side down in the skillet. You could do it with uh, regular bread. You could do it with English muffin, artisanal bread. And you just press something down on top of it, maybe the back of another pan. Break and then flip in it over And make this olive oil toast. And I thought, that is such a good idea. It's a great idea. I once did this, to be honest with you, in bacon fat. 
There was oh, a woman. Oh. <laughs> now you're speaking my language. What about the sugar? No, here was a <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no sugar, but give me bacon fat. Now that's it. Now, I, if I don't have sugar, I can have more bacon fat. It's a trade-off. It's a tra- everything in life is a trade-off. And Faith, I'm with you on that trade-off. Get rid of the sugar, just up the bacon fat. I did. I thought, you know, really, someone I knew was doing a bacon cookbook. So this woman was staying at the house, and I said, okay, I'm going to try something. And I took slices of Pepperidge Farm bread Mm -hmm. and sautéed them in the bacon fat and then cut them in triangles and said, okay, here we go. This is with our eggs and our – so good, though. Tell me that wasn't the best toast you've ever had. It was really good. A little sprinkle of salt good. on the you top. You know what? I'd rather, I'd rather have the olive oil toast. <laughs> Did you put a little garlic in it? No. No, no I didn't. No, okay. Okay, so olive oil toast to bookend that. Can we do a cold summer soup? Vichyssoise, you know, the cold potato soup is with mm-hmm. the chives, snip chives in it. Mm. Is so, I'm so excited because I planted chives. I really want to make this. I keep ordering it in restaurants when they have it, but I've never made it myself. So I think I would trust Jacques Pepin on this one. Classic. The man, the, the classic most. recipe. Classic, classic recipe. Yeah. And the whole question for me will be, does he include a chicken stock in his mm-hmm. vichyssoise or yes. not? You, oh, yes. you say yes? No question. Classic, yes. Okay. And he has a cookbook where he's teaching his granddaughter, Aww. Shori, to cook. And so this cookbook features the two of them oh, making awesome. things. Good confidence builder, really, because if a little girl, Shori, can cook something, certainly, mm-hmm. you know. We can. Yeah, I can do it too then. <laughs> well, she is related to Jacques, though. Yeah. I know, but DNA aside. <laughs> yeah, good bonding thing to do with kids. It is a good bonding thing, unless you are a perfectionist. Yes. Because I'm raising my I, kitchen's too clean. <laughs> well, not just that, but so many times, kids will, they're very tactile, and if you're a person who thinks that in terms of cooking, if there's a right way to cook, there's a right method, there's a right technique, and you have an eight-year-old cooking with you, guess what? You have to let go of some of that perfectionism because they're going to do what comes naturally, and it might not be the thing that the recipe says to do. And, and you can learn from them because yeah. the recipe will still come out, lo and behold. <laughs> you hope. right? No, usually they do. What strikes me is how much kids are getting into cooking on their own because mm-hmm. of all the shows, mm-hmm. both on radio and television. A lot of kids have grown up sitting in the car at parents' instructions, listening to this show. They all know beans and cornbread. Oh, there's the sound of the city again. My great-niece and nephew, who are twins, Teddy and Lulu, are so into all this that they play restaurant constantly. And so they opened a restaurant recently, and they said to their mother, Suzanne, would you review the restaurant? (gasps) She said, okay. So So she wrote down a review, and she handed it to Teddy, and he picked up a fake telephone to his ear, you know, imaginary one, and he said, thanks, I'll fax that to all the newspapers. (laughs) (laughs) What? I love it. Where did he get that? Fax? But they are into it. Yeah, there's really good fun. cooking classes. I mean, just look on. There's kid Cook, cooking camps. Well, you grew up in the cooking, summer. right? I grew up uh, cooking, yeah, because that's just what we did in my yeah. house. I mean, yeah. in a European household, I think the kitchen's the living room, and the kitchen is it's where the life is. It's wherever nobody's ever in the. I mean, it's funny because the living room was a place that you only went in in like when we had company. That's how I learned to love food and cook. Sitting on a stool. My aunt yeah, was a private same. chef. And I would sit on a stool on all my vacations in her kitchen at her elbow and watch her cook. 
And she was really good. And, oh, she would make those brownies or whatever she was going to jar, a glass jar of cookies. And I'd try and lift the lid without making any noise so I could get (laughs) (laughs) Those are the best memories, though, right? right. I learned to love food and my brother, too. Here's what we have coming up later in the show. Domenica Marchetti, who's an Italian food teacher. She's done many Italian cookbooks. And the new one is Preserving Italy. And this is about how to do the easy ways, preserve either in oil or in a vinegar bath, all the great stuff that's in the farmer's Mm. markets right now. And in your supermarket, when they have local stuff, you can just throw those jars into your dishwasher to make them uh, food safe. It's that simple. And then you put them in oil or whatever she suggests with sugar or not sugar or whatever. And a couple of, you know, herbs Mm. and stuff. And you can eat it all winter. So she's going to tell us how to do it. We just tried some. It's healthy, too. And we're going to talk during that segment about peaches in grappa. Oof. We love the local. Please support your local food growers and food makers. Farmers markets are open everywhere right now for on-demand podcast delivery of the Food Schmooze Party every week. And to find our food, wine, cocktail, restaurant, hot topics, our short, fun streaming videos and recipes that we curate. We are always online talking with you at foodschmooze.org. And we'll be right back. The Food Schmooze Party, offering the richness of life and coming to you in Connecticut, Rhode Island, Massachusetts, and New York, including Westchester County and the east end of Long Island. That's the Hamptons, too, of course. The senior producer is Robin Doyen Aiken. And to hear the show on WNPR, it airs Thursdays at 3 and Saturdays at noon. Podcasts and our curated recommendations are always online at foodschmooze.org. Hey, to those of you who are reaching out to us on Facebook, thank you so much. We love the conversations with you, people sometimes sending in pictures. We love to see the pictures that come along with your messages to us. Sometimes I blow them up and because one, <laughs> one was recently a cat at a fish market <laughs> holding a giant fish in its mouth. It was the awesome. most wonderful thing. I blew it up about two feet, so <laughs> that was great. That's a Faith Middleton food schmooze on Facebook. Okay, here we've been waiting for this during the show. We are going to talk with Domenica Marchetti, who is the author of six cookbooks on Italian cooking. Her articles and recipes, perhaps you've seen them all around, Washington Post, Food and Wine, Fine Cooking, Cooking Light. She's also a cooking teacher and um, does stuff for various blogs, knows the Abruzzo region of Italy very, very well. Well, the cookbook that we became interested in, because we haven't really done this on the show, 
It's called Preserving Italy. This is at our website. And Domenica, being generous as she is, has said, go ahead, take three of the recipes. We're going to get to them. Put them on your site. So that's foodschmooze.org. And when you hear them, I'm talking about peaches and grappa. When you hear them, (laughs) you are going to want to go to foodschmooze.org. So how do we can, cure, infuse, bottle Italian flavors and traditions in an easy way where we're not scared to death, we're going to be poisoned or we're going to do it wrong or, you know, take advantage of what's in the markets right now. That's the whole thing. Domenica Marchetti, welcome to the Fuchmoose Party. Hi, thank you for having me. Oh, our pleasure. So tell us what you wanted to get across from what the people in Italy do for us here. I think life is changing. A lot of old traditions are in danger of being lost. And I really wanted to preserve some of these traditions in this book. The more I thought about canning and preserving and Italian food, the more I realized that it is integral to the Italian table. If you go to a restaurant anywhere, you will be brought cured meats, a preserved form of food, uh, cheeses, which of course is the ultimate preservation of milk. You will be brought condiments in Abruzzo, which is where my family is from. They always put out peperoncini, either dried hot peppers Mm. or hot peppers in oil, peppers preserved some way. At the end of a meal, you're likely to get a house-made liqueur, another form of preserving food, or in this case, beverage, I guess. So all of these things are so important to Italian cuisine, and I really felt that you don't get the full picture of Italian cooking unless you incorporate preserved foods. I love this very much, and I just want to make a point that this is different from what I'm about to describe. I think Martha Stewart is a genius, and anyone who knocks her for her talent is crazy. Having said that, I don't have time to make candles for my dinner party. So, um, you don't? So, no, I really do. I mean that compliment to her, and I mean, you know, people pick and choose according to what their lives are. So... This is something else. This is something anybody can do. So let's start with the recipe that we have posted at foodschmooze.org. Your oil-preserved butternut squash with mint. And here we have the markets booming with this stuff now. And how do we take advantage of it? Not have it just in the summer, but pull it off the shelf? Tell me about this. Yeah. So oil-preserving is really popular in Italy. It's the most traditional way. Here in the U.S., we do a lot of vinegar pickles. And of course, there's a new interest in fermentation. But in Italy, a lot of vegetables are preserved in oil, you know, eggplant, zucchini, and even winter squashes. One of my favorite flavor combinations is the mellow, sweet winter squash Mm. with vinegar and mint, you know, which really brightens Mm. it up. So the squash is just sliced and then kind of steeped in a sweet and sour agrodolce vinegar marinade. And then it is boiled in this marinade briefly just to make it a little bit tender. Then the squash is drained and kind of laid out to dry packed in jars and filled with olive oil, and then just stored in the fridge. You don't even have to do a water bath or worry about canning it because the oil is a preservative and it keeps the squash nice and fresh for long-term conservation in the fridge. Yes, here is a thing that will last for three months. Think about that. If you do this in September, 
You can have even end of September, (laughs) October, November, December. There you go. Exactly. And these, you know, these wonderful sweet and sour squash pieces are so good with uh, like a roast, roast chicken, roast pork. They just make a nice, bright side to classic winter fare. But let me ask you some questions now, because this is what all of us want to know. Chris, do you have one to jump in? Well, no, I just, you know, and it makes cooking easy. When you have this stuff already put up in your fridge, then you come home, you cook a piece of chicken, and what you're going to serve it with is pretty much already in your refrigerator. The sides are already done. Yeah, Yeah, the sides are already done. Yeah, that's such a great point. I have to tell you, when I was working on this book, I mean, you should see, I have a fridge in my garage and a fridge in my kitchen, and they are both (laughs) chock full of jars from... Mm. Recipe testing, and I will tell you honestly that some of these are way past three months old, but since I'm yeah. just serving them to myself, I'm, I'm okay. I'm not <laughs> taking any chances. I have to say I was very conservative with the book in terms of dates, making sure you label everything and use by dates and all of that, because of course you don't want to put yourself at risk. But I always feel like... If you follow a recipe, you roll up your sleeves, you do it, you're not going to have any problems. People do get concerned about canning, and there are recipes that require water bath canning and even pressure canning in the book, but it's really something that I encourage people to try because there is so much payoff. Domenica, let me ask you a question about that very thing. This is oil-preserved butternut squash. When you start out with a jar, what is the easiest way to sterilize that jar? You can um, sterilize them in the dishwasher. I often put them in the oven at 250 degrees for about 20 minutes, and all of that does the job perfectly fine. Great. All right. Now, in this recipe, oil-preserved butternut squash with mint, you explained how it has a little white wine vinegar in there. The butternut squash is sliced. There's a dried chili pepper, a little dried mint, some sea salt, And the oil used here is sunflower oil, because I was wondering if I've got a good-sized jar with all this squash in it, what kind of olive oil am I supposed to buy? Because that's a lot of olive oil, and that starts to make this expensive. So you're using sunflower oil. Is that traditional to Italy? Yeah, it is traditional to Italy. I will say that most oil preserves use extra virgin olive oil. And the reason for this is because many families in Italy, especially those in the countryside or those who have family out in the country, they have olive trees. And many families still make their own olive oil. So when they're pressing the fresh olive oil, that is the stuff that they will save to drizzle on bread and, you know, over tomatoes. And then they'll use what's left of last year's olive oil to put up preserves. Of course, we don't have, I in well, my suburban Virginia backyard, do not have an olive grove, unfortunately. So, so, so. can we use just uh, regular olive oil? I would suggest a still a decent quality extra virgin olive oil. And you can find some good quality olive oils at places like Trader Joe's or Costco even. It doesn't have to be a $40 bottle of olive oil, mm-hmm. but I would refrain from using the industrial sort of olive oil that won't improve the flavor of Mm. your preserves. Um, That's why I also like to use sunflower oil because you can find it at a decent price at uh, many supermarkets and it's got a nice light flavor. 
This is Domenica Marchetti, a cooking teacher and author of many Italian cookbooks. This one is called Preserving Italy, and it's about how to simply can, cure, infuse, and bottle Italian flavors. In other words, work in that tradition where Italians go to the market or to their own farms and buy a bunch of stuff. You see people buying bushels of things. Look at our markets right now. And then you put these up in jars and you get to use them. That recipe for oil-preserved butternut squash with mint is on our website, foodschmooze.org. Let's turn to another one. These are blue cheeseburgers. We just ate these, Dominica. They were delicious. And Chris, you made for us the tropia onion jam. Tell us what that was like. I loved it. And it was so easy. It's just taking some red onions, mince it up with some sugar, red wine, a little bit of salt, some peppercorns, clove, bay leaf, vanilla, um, a cinnamon stick, and a little bit of red wine vinegar. And you basically bring that all, except for the vinegar, bring it all up to a simmer and you cook this into a jam. And it's as easy as that. You finish it off with the vinegar and you put it in your containers. I so, did it a yeah. couple of weeks ago, and I've been eating off that container since then. It's great on ham sandwiches. I put <laughs> We put it on a burger today. Oh, yeah. I've put it on chicken. I even put it on a piece of salmon the other night. Oh, that sounds delicious. And, yes, it's great as part of a cheese plate. Um, you know, Tropea is in southern Italy, and it's famous okay. for its sweet red onion. So I called this Tropea onion jam. Of course, I, I don't get those onions here, but right now in the farmer's markets, um, there are some really good red onions. They're still mm-hmm. kind of on the small side, but even a supermarket red onion will do because it has a nice assertive onion flavor. And when you cook it with all these lovely spices and a little bit of red wine, you know, the vanilla bean, the cinnamon, um, it, it's almost like a holiday flavor. So mm-hmm. this is something mm-hmm. that, that will last for a long time and that you can put out with a holiday cheese plate or like you guys did, oh. you know, um, on a Saturday night, make oh. burgers and top them with a dollop of this uh, jam. Here's what I'm thinking oh. about. I'm thinking <laughs> about a baguette sliced, and I'm going to make a gorgonzola grilled cheese oh. with this onion jam <laughs> yeah. and, yep. you know, a little butter on the outside of the bread. Yep. Ooh, oh. that, there you go. Oh, does so, that ever sound good? Yeah. <laughs> so tell me this. And so that gorgonzola was in the burger that we made. You have a recipe mm-hmm. for that burger in here. There is um, what normally we would consider a lot, two cups of sugar in this recipe to make this jam. And I was thinking to myself, some sugar would be uh, good for caramelizing the onions. And we said to each other, wow, two cups. What's behind that? Because you simply want it to be sweet, or is there another reason for that? Sugar, of course, is a preservative, so mm-hmm. it is a component in um, you know the preservation of this jam, so that it will uh, keep for a good long while. And the other reason is that it helps. You know, this is not a jam with pectin, so it does help to thicken um, the mixture into a jam-like consistency. So you know, it's funny. I hadn't even thought about the quantity of sugar until you mentioned it. This isn't something, though, that you're going to eat by, you know, the spoonful <laughs> or the cupful. It's, it's a little dollop on your burger. It's a little dollop on a cracker with cheese. 
So a little goes a long way. I'd put Domenica it on Domenica does not know us. <laughs> yeah, the part about not eating it by the spoon is debatable. Yeah, exactly, Robin. <laughs> You'll get to know us, Domenica. Uh, okay, so here's the one we have been waiting for. Those are terrific. And we just had that uh, blue cheeseburger from your recipe in the book, and we put that jam on it. It was fantastic. We did it both regular and gluten-free rolls. Oh, it was great. We then put a little bit of spice on there to work against the heat. It was terrific. So this, though, is the one that I am so excited about. It is peaches in grappa spiked syrup. Can you imagine (laughs) pulling that off your shelf? Put some ice cream on top. That is holiday worthy. Okay, so here we go. This is... You say the Italian version of bourbon peaches. Yes, I live in Virginia, and bourbon peaches are very popular around here. But in my house, we make the Italian version, which means you use grappa instead of bourbon as your, you know, spiking agent. So the peaches are just kind of quickly poached in a little bit of boiling water so that Mm -hmm. you can slip off their skins and then you slice them up and you make a sugar syrup you know with water vanilla bean a little bit of lemon juice and you pack the peaches in jars pour the syrup on top and then you top it off with a good glug of grappa so you have a really nice uh, liquor spiked syrup and these peaches just kind of steep in there for a while and yes whoever mentioned ice cream that's this is a perfect use for these peaches and these keep seal them up for six months yes because in the refrigerator through a water bed well if they're open in the fridge they'll keep for a month yeah they will keep even once you open them and the jars are uh quart size jars so that you can fit a fair bit but if you're having company for dinner you'll go through a jar for sure uh you know for like per person yeah (laughs) (laughs) oops calling an uber afterwards you know this this is um it's this is a little bit of taunting i realize but um from time to time we do get our hands on peaches and so if you do and you want to carry that gorgeous fruit through into the winter months and the holidays what a way to do it and i'm so grateful domenica that you have said go ahead post this on the website for our folks you'll find this recipe peaches and grappa spiked syrup makes three quarts what a gift mm. by the way and oh, that, yes great point perfect for holiday gifts and now is the time right yeah, to start, start getting get, getting going on that so that's at foochmoose.org. So we have about um, a minute left to the end of the show. And I just want to say that in here we have how to put up classic meat sauce, green tomato preserves, um, doing an apricot mustard sauce, doing plum preserves, um, that jar of vegetables that is so traditionally Italian, uh, tomato sauce, mm. just like Domenica's Garage. You can have all these things. <laughs> That's our, Domenica's Garage between two covers is what we've got here. Thank you so much for being on the show and for taking the time to share this tradition with us. Oh, it's been my pleasure. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. Again, these recipes, the three we just mentioned, are on our website at foodschmooze.org. The book is called, and you'll see text about the book and how to get it. It's Domenica Marchetti, our guest, Preserving Italy. 
canning, curing, infusing, and bottling Italian flavors and traditions. Was that? Oh, my gosh. I need a second refrigerator. I know I do, too. That's what I keep saying. I'm not getting that, though. Um, Well, maybe I will. Santa. All right. We are on WNPR Thursdays at 3, Saturdays at noon, weekdays. Listen for my 60-second food schmoozes. Never eat more than you can lift. In New Haven, I'm Faith Middleton. Hey, don't want the party to end? Well, neither do we. Talk with us anytime online at foodschmooze.org.